0: the heating's on it's getting darker
2: earlier and earlier so why not cheer yourself up this november with a subscription to the athletic for just one pound a week for only 100 of your english pence every seven days you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of the athletics podcasts sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally Totally Football Show.
3: Today, on a big midweek for important results abroad, we survey a Champions League round that topically had no real precedent, with a record-breaking 62 goals scored on match day three. From Liverpool Atacanta the Atalanta to Basic Shahir against Basic Shahir incompetence in Istanbul. Plus, we do Man City Liverpool, celebrate the fixture computer, discuss PPV, and look at football jargon worldwide and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, you. It's the 5th of November, day one, of course, of the new lockdown in England, day two of knockdown in other places. And we're joined by Duncan Alexander.
4: Hello, James.
5: Tom Williams. Hello, James. And can I just say the good people of Wales have already been locking down for a good fortnight? That's true, actually. Sorry about that, good people of Wales.
3: Also with us, Sasha Gurionov. Morning, James, and USA. Well, indeed. Always... Sasha, always. A big show today. You'd need two pods for all this content with a big weekend coming up in the Premier League and just finished the highest scoring midweek ever in the Champions League group stage in its current format. Briefly, did you have a good time?
5: Yeah, I mean, great to have all the goals flying in. The one thing I find with it is that it makes it hard to properly follow any one game in particular. Mm. My Champions League setup is generally the game I want to watch on the big telly and the goal show, of course, on the um, on the tablet. But when there are so many goals going in in all the other games, sometimes you realise you've not actually watched the game that you were trying to watch. But there are worse things to have to put up with in life.
3: Tom, just for you, here's a roundup of the key points midweek. Sixty-two goals scored midweek. Three in Istanbul as Man United got a shock here. Istanbul. Elsewhere in that group, Paris Saint Germain got stuck in a hotel lift.
2: Ça va? vous <laughs> tous en même temps, le mec il a dit.
3: Then saw too many floors as they went down 2-1 to RB Leipzig. On Tuesday, Real Madrid beat Inter in a 3-2 thriller. Man City put three past Olympiacos, Limpo put five past Atalanta, and Gladback put six past Shakhtar. Bayern also peppered Salzburg with six in their 14th straight Champions League win.
1: Hernandez, the ball,
3: some 6-2 ins Netz while at Porto, Marseille lost their 12th straight game in the competition, leaving manager AVB to say this.
6: We can play like
3: in the Champions League, you need to be in the Champions League. We're here, and we played like Also this midweek, Chelsea grabbed another clean sheet v. Rennes, Haaland got another brace, that's 14 goals in 11, Barca scraped by a Kiev side battling coronavirus, while Juve battled another virus, Ferencvaros. 4-1 4-1 with Ronaldo back and Morata this time staying on side. Woof. Well, standout moment. Sasha.
7: Jota. Jota for me. Standout oh. moment. Hat-trick. Uh, I'm afraid uh, Atalanta set up very nicely for him but I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant Liverpool performance and I know they weren't the highest scorers in Europe this, uh, this midweek but I think it's probably because they declared after 55
3: minutes. Ha <laughs> ha. Like, you know, some people, we're 5-0 up, we'll call this one a win, eh? <laughs> Popular. Uh, Duncan, what stood out for you?
4: Man United and, the, well, essentially the lack of Man United, um, particularly for the first goal, uh, where I think the closest player to the United goal was Matic and he was approximately about 75 yards.
3: So that was, I mean, for anyone who missed it, uh, and I, to be honest, never really understood it until after the show, what had happened. Short corner for United, which they eventually lose, and then Visca looks up and sees the only, well, open bar in all of Europe, and <laughs> who sit down downfield, and then there's a, this foot race.
4: Well, yeah, between a, crawl. a 35-year-old man who Stoke once refused to sign because his knees didn't work, and then he went on to play for many, many more years, um, and Matic. And, yeah, it was, I mean... It was so bad that if it had happened in a computer game, if it was in FIFA, they'd have had to release a patch, I think, because it was, <laughs> it was, it was just like, a, you, you never see that. People were saying, would you see that in under-10s, under-11s football? Not really, because um, in that level of football, you always have one big kid that just hangs around the halfway line. And I think, Yeah, so extraordinary. And I think, you know, Oli took the, took the blame himself afterwards. But, mm. um, yeah, I mean, one of the most extraordinary girls I've seen for a long time. We'll
3: have a lot more Man United chat because that's what we do, right, listener. Uh, but, uh, Tom, do you want to mention the stat you uh, cited midweek. Uh, United mustering a single shot on target from open play against Besiktas here, who, let's remember, had been done by both PSG and Leipzig coming into this. No points, no goals prior to this clash.
5: Yeah, one shot on target from open play, which was Anthony Martial's goal. Um, there was the, f- the very gentle, curly, floaty free kick from Bruno Fernandes in the second half. And then there was that chance right at the end, which actually came from an Istanbul, Bahag Shahir player turning it back towards his own goal. And that was it. And United dominated possession in the second half and put all of their attacking players on the pitch at various points and got nowhere near equalising, really. Apart from that, quite fortuitous last chance. Um, And it was remarkable to see United have so much possession and to have so much attacking talent on the pitch. And to fail to create a single chance of no. And I, th- I think, it again, it, it just goes back to what we seem to say about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer every time we discuss him on this show, that when there's space for his team to attack into, United are brilliant. They're one of the best teams in Europe. And when there isn't space, they are absolutely hopeless.
3: Well, an evening which was supposed to have seen them take a commanding lead in the group, instead now sees them level with the team they'd beaten a week before, I'd be Leipzig, who themselves got that 2-1 win over Paris Saint-Germain. What's the reaction been, Tom, to this uh, performance in France? Is there a lot more pressure now on Thomas Tuchel?
5: There is, yes. Uh, It's not helped by the fact that he continues to make quite baffling decisions, uh, the latest of which is his stubborn insistence on playing Danilo Pereira, his new holding midfielder, as a centre-back, and playing Marquinhos, his centre-back, as a holding midfielder, which he's done for the last few games. And Danilo Pereira actually said after the game last night, he was asked in the mix zone, you know, how do you feel about this? And he said, well, look, I'm not a a defender. I'm a midfielder. I'll play there if I have to. Um, What works in Tuchel's favour is that last season was the best season in PSG's history, albeit a weird COVID-19 curtailed season. They won all four of the domestic trophies. They reached the Champions League final for the first time in their history and, and lost narrowly to Bayern Munich. But clearly, Tuchel and Leonardo uh, don't get on. Um, you know, Tuchel's been asked about his future. His contract runs out at the end of the season. He knows that PSG can't afford to sack him, both financially because it'll cost him about 10 million euros in compensation and because you can't sack the guy who's taken the club to its first ever Champions League final a matter of months after doing that. So there's just this sort of this uncomfortable holding pattern. Tuchel is going to see the season out. He'll probably win Ligue 1 again. What might change is that they might not reach the Champions League knockout rounds and then the pressure really would build. Uh, mm. But yeah, he's he's not looking particularly comfortable this morning.
3: Well, indeed, and they're not looking comfortable, as you say, in the group Man United and Leipzig on six points there on three. Although they could turn that around in three weeks' time with the return leg against Leipzig on Paris. Maybe one bright spot for Paris Saint-Germain is Moise,
7: Moise Kane. Absolute mm. handful yeah. yesterday oh, yeah. against uh, uh, Leipzig. They really, really struggled to contain him. I mean, he was... I mean, they, thanks to him, there should have been probably a couple of goals up at half time. And uh, look, he's for a player who hasn't really scored for a year. Uh, mm. He seems to have really hit the ground uh, running there. Do you think this is down to Tuchel Or is it just Kane just needed some more better players
5: around him than Everton? I, th- I think it's probably more the latter, to be honest, in that he's, you know, he's playing for a team who create lots of chances for him. Um, and he's also, you know, he's showing people what a talented footballer he is, which is something we didn't see all that much at Everton. And, and to the point that uh, Mario Icardi is out with injury currently, but his form has been awful all year, to the extent that before the end of last season, he'd lost his place in the team to Edinson Cavani. And I suspect that when Icardi does return from injury, I think Keane will probably still get picked ahead of him because he's he's shown such great form of late.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Tuesday night in Madrid, as I mentioned, there was that uh, outstanding Real Madrid win over Inter, which saw them move out of last place in the group and put the Nerazzurri into it. Possibly the most exciting bit was the incredible Barella assist for Inter's opener. No, the brilliant Barella assist. A a big win all in all for for Zidane.
5: Tom? Yeah, tough moment uh, for Bayern Munich's coach with that Barella assist because uh, he's no longer the most impressive flick in the Champions Ah.
3: League. (laughs) Ah! It was, a, it was a gorgeous back heel. if you haven't seen it. Seek it out, listener. Colin Miller, by the way, pointing out that Sergio Ramos scored his 100th goal for Real Madrid in that game. A classic Ramos header. Uh, his second goal of, of that 100-goal run was actually assisted by the man who's now his manager, Zinedine Zidane, which gives you a, an idea of the career arc we're talking about. And how about this? His first goal was assisted by Raul Bravo, who earlier this year you may recall, was suspected of hiring a hitman to murder his former Olympiacos teammate, Darko Kovacevic. So, there you go. Anyway, Sasha, let's talk about the Russians. Three of them in the Champions League. Not entirely sure how that happened. So far, they've had nine games, no wins. Is it four goals four, scored? Four, well, it's four
7: draws and five defeats. Um, yeah. And this is the first and last time Russia will have um, uh, three teams in the Champions League group stage because after the season, uh, due to the drop in the coefficient... Uh, They will be down to two, uh, one straight in, one in the qualifying. And to be honest, like looking at this year's performance, I think three is probably too, too many uh, or maybe two and a half too many, because I think what the Russians have found is um, A, the quality in the league isn't great. And then when these players have to play every three days, uh, the form, they just can't keep it up. Um, So between them. Uh, the three Russian Champions League clubs have won one out of the last 15, so they can't even win in the league. Um, so they're, they're absolutely shattered. And I think you could sc- kind of see that in the second half yesterday for Krasnodar and mm. Seville. I mean, they were up against 10 men. They actually had a very decent first half. Berg, for for an old man, gave Sevilla... Um, Defenders a lot of problems, particularly Kunde. Kunde had to be subbed, and you know Diego Carlos, who was supposed to be that good, had a shocker as well. So first half really, really good from from uh, from Krasnodar. but second half they just fell to pieces. And I think it generally shows that they're just knackered and mm. the quality of centre back is in there. And you could see how easy Chelsea beat them last week. So they just they're just not good enough. Locomotive give it a bit of a better go, and um, you know they had they were really positive against Bayern, who were perhaps not as switched on as they should have been. But Anton Miranchuk, Alexei's brother Alexei, who's gone to uh, of course who's gone to Atalanta, but has played 10 minutes so far. His brother Anton, twin brother, who is supposed to be less good, has actually now scored against Bayern and Atletico. And again, in the spirited performance, but they, they, you know, Atletico should have been out of sight in Moscow in front of 8,000 fans. But Guilherme uh, had a really, really good game in, in Nets for Lokomotiv. Which finally brings me on to Zenit, the big behemoth of Russian football. It's just so... There's nothing to them at the moment. Um, perhaps Simak isn't the best coach, Depleted Lazio side, you know, recovered well, you know, helped by a Lovren slip. But again, this is a sort of game Zenit should have been expected to and they only managed to draw. So
3: I think the best the Russians can cope for maybe is one club in the Europa League at the end of all this. The Lazio, as you say, a depleted Lazio side who got that point away in St. Petersburg Wednesday night. They've got Juventus Uh, Coming up this weekend, there's a lot of controversy about how three of their players who couldn't feature for them in match day two a week ago or this week in St. Petersburg. I'm talking about uh, Luis Alberto and uh, Chudu Immobile, 36 goals in the league last season, did manage to play in the extraordinary result they had in between those two matches in Serie A the weekend when they were 3-2 down after 94 minutes but managed to win the game 4-3 in the ninety eight, which is a terrific result. There's now being an inquiry, or there's an inquiry now underway in Italy, about the private tests that Lazio did to clear their players to feature in the Serie A match, one of them scoring, Ciro Mobile, while UEFA was saying, no, look, you're still positive. So uh, they've basically come, they've taken away the swabs. There's a big inquiry about whether the Lazio doctor said uh, asymptomatic is the same thing as being healthy. Anyway.
4: Did he say... I, I can see asymptomatic symptomatic player. And they went, Asymptomatic, hey, Yeah, fine, cool. We'll get
3: your kit on. I, I, as I say, they have Juventus coming up this weekend who will probably be awarded another 3-0 on the back of all of this. Anyway, uh, Sasha, uh, miserable stuff with the Russians. Let's cheer you up with a little bit more on Liverpool's performance away in Bergamo. We previewed this on Tuesday by saying Atalanta's not a team you want to visit when you've got a shaky bat line. But bizarrely, although you have the second worst defence in the Premier League, you're still yet to concede in the Champions League. Uh, yes, and I think, I mean, th- there's obviously a bit
7: of luck in the, in this because, remember, Ajax, you know, hit the post. There's got goal-line cleaners from Fabinho. Michelin had a couple of one-on-ones. Obviously, Zapata hit, I think, hit the angle of the crossbar in the post, already at 5-0. But I think what helped Liverpool... Uh, is the general, I think, attitudes towards the game here, which in effect, I think, protected the centre-backs because they were just so positive elsewhere on the pitch. And they they didn't play like a team who was, which that was thinking, hmm, experienced centre-back partnership. They just played the normal game. And I think also what Atalanta did, I think... It's interesting the way that Klopp, before the game, spoke about Atalanta being a bit like Leeds. And I think this man-to-man marking eventually let Atalanta down because if you look at the way Liverpool scored the first goal... Trent Alexander-Arnold draws a a player from Curtis Jones who draws a player out to the defensive line and then Jota immediately goes into that gap and you can see Curtis Jones actually pointing to him, just go there. And this is when he actually, you know, Palomino can't do anything with him. And then also in that situation, you know, Jota is basically being assaulted. Yet he is uh, producing a a really fantastic fine finish. I think he destroyed Hattabu for the second. I think the general Liverpool uh, the, the approach, I think, eventually spooked Atalanta, but in a way that they completely lost all shape, um, and you know, then you know you have Salah running from from his own goal, and you know Liverpool just played around them. And I think it is really, really impressive that Liverpool managed to switch it on in this. Uh, you know, in a crucial game like this because I think it's important for Liverpool as well to qualify as quickly as possible from the Champions League groups um, given, you know, how tight the schedule is. But also, you know, Jota himself, you know, Mm -hmm. I think when uh, when I was uh, on the pod just after Liverpool signed Jota, I was actually more excited about him than I was about Thiago. Just given his profile, I could see him fitting into that front line. But I think... I don't think really anyone expected for it to be this smooth because, you know, you've seen other strikers uh, in Liverpool like, you know, um, Origi or Minamino who just don't, you know, there isn't a seamless fit into the front line after many, many years for, for, for Origi. But, you know, Jota, it's like he's always played there. Of course, maybe you could say that Wolves played very, you know, intense football. And I think this is something that Klopp alluded to, but the way he understands when to move, um, how to move, you know, interaction with other players... It's the skill on the ball, the composure. You know, the way after the game, you know, he's, you know, he's being asked, oh, are you playing the best football of your career? No, 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 i just playing the best team of my career. You know, very level-headed. And I think this is, you know, they signed an
3: absolute gem here. Six goals in four games now. The man that they bought instead of Timo Werner, uh, pretty much. And uh, a lot of people asking about whether Firmino gets back into the team, given Jota's form. Lovely quote from Klopp after the match. He says, The world is sometimes a bad place. In the moment when somebody is shining, we immediately speak about another player who has played what feels like 500 games in a row. Without Bobby Firmino, we would not even be in the Champions League. Still, you must be a bit dizzy as a Liverpool fan. You you know, One week you're getting beaten 7-2 by Villa. Another one, you're destroying Atalanta 5-0. I think... um
7: uh, Trent's, uh, Trent's words before Atalanta on on Villa were quite important. And he said, you know, it, it humbled them as a team. And I, I think you, you could feel that after that 7-2, once they went to, for an international break, returning, they actually had a very good performance against Everton. It feels like the whole team is concentrating again. And I think maybe the fact that Van Dijk's out, everyone else maybe have, feels that they have to really, really lift their game. Or, of course, I think it is important as well to see Alisson back. I think Alisson makes a huge difference. And he's only conceded, I think, two goals in four games. Um, you know, whenever he's called upon, like say, Mitchell, and he makes a crucial save or forces the striker to commit a mistake. He had a very solid game against Atalanta. So I, I think with, with with Alisson returning as well, I think you, you you could see that the top performers, I think, are back in the team. Plus you have the new blood like Jota and perhaps with Thiago come, to come in as well. Mm. All
3: right. Well, top of the league but facing Manchester City this weekend. We'll come on to that game very shortly. Tom, anything else from the midweek before we move on?
5: Yeah, I just wanted to touch on Chelsea briefly and specifically their fullbacks. Um, and I'm only going to compare them to Manchester United because I happen to watch both matches back to back. But what strikes you um, when you compare Chelsea to United is that the quality that Chelsea have in terms of the delivery they get into the box from their fullbacks is so high that uh it it allows the other attacking players to basically leave things to the fullbacks in attacking areas whereas with united yes luke shaw set up uh, anthony marshall's goal with quite a nice cross but both he and Aaron Wan Bissaka are much more erratic crossers of the ball. And, and quite often, and we saw this in the latter stages against Istanbul Bahaksh here last night, when the United fullbacks have the ball in high positions, they're just looking to offload it to someone else. They'd rather not have to take responsibility in those areas. And that means that United are basically robbed of, of what could be, um, you know, two. Uh, additional attacking weapons. One caveat there is that Alex Telles and what he's shown so far for United does have a wonderful left foot. So that might be about to change. But just to go back to Chelsea, I mean, Ben Chilwell has got a fantastic left foot. Reese James, I think, I don't think there's a better cross a ball than Reese James in the Premier League. There are better passers there are, there are players who perhaps cross the ball with more variety, but there's a certain kind of cross, a sort of David Beckham style cross, that Rhys James excels at. And as a football fan, when you see a player get into a position where you know they're going to put a, a cross into the box, there's something almost, I don't know, like slightly mystical about it. And as football fans, you know what a good cross looks like, but you can never guarantee you're going to see one. And Rhys James just seems to find the shape required Every time he puts the ball into the box, we saw that um, with the goal that he set up for Tammy Abraham. And, and I think having him and Chilwell on the pitch is just an extra uh, string to Chelsea's bow. On top of the fact they've got a lot of really talented attacking players as well.
3: Mm. All right, a big week for people putting crosses in boxes, of course. Uh, not <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what about Trent? Isn't he the best crosser in the Premier League?
5: He is, he. I mean, he's as good a cross of the ball as Rhys James and right. he's a better passer of the ball than Rhys right. James. He has more variety to his passing. But there's a certain kind of cross, a sort of leaning away from the ball with the instep around the corner of the penalty area. And I, I don't think there's anyone better than Rhys James. I think it is very often close to perfection.
4: I know what Tom means. And remember the last lockdown, remember that one? The lockdown one when we went through all the, uh, the old Champions League seasons. And, uh, you know, it was the first time I watched some of those you know, matches for a long time, and just seeing Beckham in the in the late 90s,
0: mm. some
4: of those crosses were just literally unplayable. And and yeah, Reece, Reece James isn't quite there yet, but he's definitely got that within him.
3: Well, Man City, Liverpool awaits. But Sash, I think I have the feeling there's one thing more you want to throw away from from Europe.
7: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would like to throw in some goalkeepers. Well, specifically one, uh, Ruslan Nesheret. uh He is Dynamo of number three. Of course, I mean, this, this COVID situation, while well, it completely messes with all formations and tactics and teams, um, it does give players opportunity uh, to shine, which they wouldn't otherwise. So mm. th- this lad, he's 18. Uh, he signed a five-year deal in January uh, with Dynamo Kiev. He's only in the team because uh, the, the first, the two, the two first-team goalkeepers, Boyko and Bushan both got the COVID. Uh, made his debut at the weekend um, against Dnipro and they won 2-1, and then his second first team match is at the Camp Nou against Messi, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he, did all right. re- he did absolutely great. In that first half, um, I think at least five or six really high-quality saves, not just you know to tick a box, as you said before, but they're properly well done, and also I think a lot of these kids, when they first come through, I mean, if you look at the young goalkeepers, they're, they're quite gangly, they're very ungainly, whereas... Uh, Nesheret, like, is really well built. You know, really in control of his limbs and really good technique. And I was just, it's just really lovely to see because he really kept his team in the game there. And had Ter Stegen not had a good game himself. Dynamo would have come
3: away with something. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, maybe he'll get his chance in three weeks' time, or well, they'll get their chance in three weeks' time when they'll be welcoming Barcelona back to Ukraine. Anyway, for us, this weekend uh, is looming, featuring, as I say, Man City, Liverpool. We'll be getting onto that next.
0: At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions: go for a walk, walk the dog, walk to the shops, go cycling, cycle the dog, recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say, and that's not the only one. If one leg of your four-plus-fold acca lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, Min odds 1-5 on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets, tees and seas apply, 18plusbgamblerware.org.
5: This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into
0: League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League
6: One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
2: The Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at FootballAid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Gianluca Vialli, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at FootballAid.com.
3: Man City hosting Liverpool Sunday 4.30. Uh, Listener Man City... With another victory midweek in the Champions League, Olympiakos were their opponents, they won 3-0, Fran Torres on the score sheet once again, and Gabriel Jesus back and scoring, which seems like it's big. This fixture in general, last two or three years, this was kind of a key match for the title, they weren't going to drop many points anywhere, so anything that they did drop here could be absolutely vital in their duel. Does it still have that kind of resonance, do you think?
4: It's still the biggest game in the Premier League, based on the fact that these are the two best teams. But I think, as you pointed out there, you know, there's going to be a lot more drop points this season. And I don't think, and particularly as it's coming relatively early as well, that I don't think if either team loses this game, it's going to, you know, rule them out of the title. Um, so yeah, it's big, but it's uh, it's also I think that could even help the fixture a little bit because it's not going to be like oh my god if we lose it's over um, right. both teams. Will be able to try and you know keep their uh, recovery. I think both of them, you know, Liverpool defence, uh, as we've touched upon a lot, has been an issue. But City's attack has been surprisingly because you know you go back to the summer and everyone would have pointed out about their defending, but it's been their it's been going forward that they've they've had issues. You know, they're they're averaging um, 1.3 xG a game in the Premier League this season, which is the lowest figure not just under Guardiola but since that data has ever been available. So. And, and I think that is partly because of the you know, injuries to Jesus and Aguero and, and taking them time to come back. But um, it's definitely been an issue, yeah. I mean, there's been a
5: pattern in City games of late, which is that they tend to dominate matches and score early and then don't build on it. You look at their last four in the Premier League, they went ahead away at Leeds, dominated uh, and then conceded and couldn't find a winner. They scored in the first half against Arsenal, couldn't add to it, so it ended up having a slightly tense end to the game, winning 1-0. At West Ham, they conceded first, despite playing quite well and managed to get back into the game and equalise, but then couldn't build on it. And then again, last time out away at Sheffield, United score the opener, control the game, but not put it to bed. Uh, It's only really been in the Champions League that we've seen them uh, score the sort of goals that their possession and their territorial dominance would suggest they deserve. and Right.
3: And in that manner that we used to see from Man City in the past couple of seasons, that's, that's the way they played against Marseille and Olympiacos.
5: Yeah. And it sort of feels like this has been the defining problem for like late era Guardiola was that last season City either they would put five, six, seven goals past the team or they would score one goal and just not be able to build on it and they would remain vulnerable. Um, and I, I think it is a big concern. I mean, as Duncan says, that Jesus and Aguero having been out is, has been clearly a factor in that, although you know they, they were around last season when the same sorts of thing were happening. But Jesus came back into the team and scored in midweek. It looks like Aguero might be back as well. Um, and that should enable them to pose more of a goal threat than they have been of late.
4: I think it's slightly different this season. In last season, you're right, they were, they were wasting a lot of chances this year. They haven't really been creating that many good chances. And you do wonder whether it's a deliberate decision. To I mean, the idea that Pep's like, right, keep it tight at the back lads, two banks of four, let's grind this out, seems unlikely. But you do wonder if there's, a, there's been a slight concentration on defence.
3: Or, or maybe the fact that they've lost uh, Leroy. Well, they didn't have Sani last year, but certainly they did have David Silva. I mean, it almost feels like
7: there's a lot of pressure on Foden to actually provide that creative spark from midfield, which they've been lacking. But I also wonder, you know, as Duncan alluded, maybe Juan Melio uh, brought in some new ideas there to actually just make them tougher, make them concede less, make them less open. Uh, I mean, I I want, do they need a new um, number 10? I mean, they have a number 10 at left back, is Inchenko, who played midweek. Maybe maybe he actually needs to play further up the pitch. Um, But there certainly seems to be... An emphasis to be, to be tighter, uh, maybe this is off the back of them just being ripped open at stages in last season, which is something he looked at and said you know, they need to improve on.
5: And there is a slightly a, a wider trend of the big clubs tightening things up a little bit. We've seen that in the last couple of, of weeks, if not since slightly earlier, that after that incredible flurry of freak scorelines in the first few weeks of the season, the big clubs in particular have started to tighten up and we, we've certainly seen that with City. It's it's after
7: they got beaten by Leicester two five. We've seen yeah. really this approach. So I think maybe this maybe it is something to do with the reaction to that. Mm. Because also, if you remember, by a few years ago, Leicester got beaten five two by Arsenal, tightened up the defense and won the league. Maybe they're taking the Leicester template.
3: The other thing with City is the fact that if they do concede, they never come back and win the game. So the first goal could be crucial at the Etihad uh, on Sunday.
5: Yeah, and contrary to Liverpool, who've conceded first in each of their last two. Uh, league games and, and gone on to win so they sort of feel there's a slightly different dynamic with with both teams I tend to feel tend to think that Liverpool have looked more like Liverpool of last season this season than City have looked like City of, of perhaps not last season but this was a couple of seasons before I feel like Liverpool mm-hmm. are closer to where Jurgen Klopp would want them to be than than City are to where Guardiola would want City to be um, whether that gives Liverpool an advantage I don't know but yeah looking forward to it. City have won the previous
3: three meetings at the Etihad with Liverpool, including last season a 4-0, which was the first game after Liverpool had won the title. So, you know, uh, what's going to happen this time? Duncan.
4: Well, I think this is why Diego Jota's inclusion in the team is quite a big call for Klopp, because I think, as Tom pointed out there, Liverpool if they get ahead it could be curtains for, for City so and he's in such good scoring form at the moment that I think you have to kind of back a player who's got the golden touch um, i be interested to see what Sasha thinks but you know I mean the only thing I would point out with Jota is that his record of seven goals in his first 10 games for Liverpool is level with Ronnie Rosenthal um, who did miss the odd chance here and there so it, it doesn't guarantee goals but yeah I think um, you know he, he could be a key figure
7: so I, I think that this is going to be an interesting call from uh, from Klopp. Whether you play Firmino or Jota or keep Jota as the you know this Joker you br- you bring up Joker as in card Joker yeah. not not the clown. Um, <laughs> this this Joker you you bring out when when you need you need you need extra impetus to your attacking play because I think possibly what you also saw uh, saying that seven two against Villa and it's it's hard to blame Jota in that but I think there was a general structural issue with defending space and with pressing. So perhaps against a more complex team like City there would be more defensive responsibility on your attacking players, which is, I think maybe which is where Firmino is so important. Mm. So whilst I can see the argument for Jota, I'm wondering whether, because you really have to be a 100% in terms of tactical awareness against City, whether he might start with Firmino. Fair.
3: Tom, finally?
5: The only thing I'd say about Firmino and Jota is that, you know, you can't just whittle Firmino down to stats. It may be that Jota outscores him this season, but what Firmino gives you is that understanding with, with Mane and Salah um, that is, is very hard to quantify. Uh, as for how the game will go, I think if I had to pick a winner, I'd, I'd be more inclined to go for Liverpool than City, but I'm going to sit on the fence and say a draw.
3: Superb. Up next, we'll look forward to another
2: mouth-watering Manx-Mersey match-up this weekend. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
3: So, Liverpool are at Man City on Sunday. By a strange quirk of fate, their neighbours are also meeting this weekend because Everton hosts Man United. This is, of course, not fate, but the fixture
5: computer, which is a similar kind of entity. Has it got got, of Sky giving it a name? Yeah. Like, you know, when they have, like, you know, Red Letter Sunday... Or oh, sort of. the name for the oh, yeah, day yeah, Northwest no, yeah, yeah, Regional yeah. Bragging or, Rights Monday. Or yeah. Grand <laughs> Slam. But actually, I know they're on different days today, aren't they? So maybe yeah, not. yeah they are. Yeah, that would be a
3: Grand, Grand Slam, Slam, Slam Sunday. Sundays? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, for example, uh, Fixed Computer—the same entity that gave us on the seventh of November, 2015, which is five years ago to the day on Saturday—possibly the greatest ever of these matchups. They're Bournemouth, the most southerly side ever in the Premier League, hosting Newcastle, the most northerly side ever in the Premier League and on that same day at Carrow Road Norwich the most easterly club in the Premier League ever playing yes Swansea City who are the most westerly side ever to ply their trade you see where this is going
4: they called it Compass Sabbath I remember (laughs) it really clearly yeah I think of it a lot
3: all right Glenn Thompson, if you're listening, you are the technical architect at the company which does the fixture computer, feeds it the ticker tape and that, after consulting with the clubs or the FA and the uh, local authorities. Interestingly, this company does take requests from others to factor into its fixture decisions. Uh, For example, uh, Nottingham Forest and Shrewsbury both uh, had fixtures arranged around the Nottingham Goose Fair and the Shrewsbury flower show. Although in 2012 I note that when Birmingham City asked if they could have a home game on the 19th of April to celebrate Trevor Francis' birthday they got a no. Computer said no. But it's his
4: birthday. When? Yeah. Okay, good. Stuff. When Wickham got promoted to the Football League in uh, in ninety three, they asked if the fixture computer would kindly give us a home game to start off with, you know, as a celebration. And and cruelly, the fixture computer gave us Carlisle away, which seems a bit of a, <laughs> a bit unnecessary.
3: <laughs> they clearly enjoy their work at the fixture computer. All right then. Well, uh, spewing uh, ticker tape fashion out of its uh, digital mouth uh, this weekend is, as we mentioned, Everton's clash with Man United. Which is going to mean a bit more Man United chat. We talk about Liverpool fans feeling dizzy. What about United's supporters? Well, let's dial one up. Nora Dean, OK, bearded genius, uh, is now on the line. Hey, uh, Nora Dean, or Noz, how are you?
1: Quite well, considering. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, the g- g- the good news is that the, an evil man is being usur- uh, usurped in, in the States. But um, it's less good news at uh, Manchester United.
3: Nice tie-in with the other big issue, of course, on Wednesday, which we haven't really covered in full yet, the US election. I did enjoy your tweet uh, in the course of Wednesday's activities in response to uh, Ching Lin's assertion that Ollie was football's Trump. You said, say what you like about Trump, but at least he refuses to concede. Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> You've had the, the banter years. You, you, we're now in the sort of middle of the Ollie at the Wheel meme era, and whilst it you know, provides chuckles for some, I know that a lot of Man United supporters, like Rio Ferdinand, very upset after the game, kind of suggesting that Oli should get in there and bang some heads together. What do you think uh, needs to happen? Where is it all going to end? Is is Poch going to come in, or is he going to swerve United? What, what's your take?
1: It's it's so convoluted and complicated at United because again, like, what's the motivation, and, and how will those in those uh, positions of of, of uh, power? react to what's happening because if you take Ed Woodward like what's the motivation for him is it better for him personally to get rid of Solskjaer and get another manager in or will that reflect badly on him as a as yet another manager there were so many there were so many short-term fixes that Solskjaer was brought in as like we're gonna we're gonna give him time essentially we're gonna sort of give him resources give him time and let him build his team over years but what if you pick the wrong man? What if what if what, what if that person is just not suited to that position? And again, like you talk about Rio Ferdinand and, and other other ex ex United players uh, and how they react, there's a strange dance going on where they will do everything apart from criticize Solskjaer. And again, that that might have something to do with them being friends with him or, or sort of uh, ex colleagues. But it's a strange dance where they criticize everything but him. And really, I don't think that does him any favors because that that whole that whole thing of treating him with kid gloves is, on one level, it's patronizing. On the other level, that vacuum of criticism sort of brings in uh, or, or invites other people to criticise him. It was it was interesting. Like last night, really felt like uh, a turning point with the fans. Like obviously, like as as a United fan, uh, following a lot of other United fans on social media, you get different factions. Some wanting to defend him, some some sort of um, wanting him out, and and you'd get different factions. And and one faction is is the is the group that will defend him no matter what because he's United legend. And it was interesting last night. You even saw those groups kind of turning on him, or at least saying he's not the right man for the job. And yeah, it was it was interesting. It happened just after the the, the election because. I was like watching it sort of thinking, oh, he's lost Salford. Oh, Withenshaw's gone now. <laughs> it was like Greater Manchester slowly sort of uh, losing confidence in Solskjaer.
3: One, one massive Man United success we, we should touch on, and that's Marcus Rashford. You're there in Manchester. How, how much impact is, is he having? And, and what's your take on on the way he's approaching the various challenges that he's facing?
1: I mean, I just, I just think it's incredible someone of that age, forget that he's a footballer, somebody of that age, 22 years old, uh, taking on that responsibility. And again, like you get all sorts of criticism from people who want to discredit his message, but he, he stays on message resolutely. It doesn't let uh, ego get in the way when people are attacking him personally. He doesn't let that affect him. Um, there's also been criticisms of like, Oh, does he, does he compose every single tweet that comes out of his account? Does he, does he sort of do all the research? in a sense that does not matter you can tell when he speaks in any interview how passionate he feels about it he's lived through it and um this idea that he he's got help people helping him good that, that that's that's what i mean we talk about leadership he he is showing leadership that the, that our own government isn't and part of leadership is having a a team around you that's going to help you achieve your goals and that's what he's doing so it's incredible and and from from the point of view of Manchester, because I'm from a working class part of Manchester, I'm, I'm from Crumpsall, which is not too disim- similar to to Withenshaw, where he's from. And you do see it. You do you do see young people are inspired by him and uh, and are motivated by him. And and it's just a little bit of um. It gives people a little bit of hope, and it gives people a little bit of pride in in, in where they're from and what they can achieve.
3: Mm. Well, good that he's got one team around him that will help him achieve his goals because on the field, <laughs> that's not happening. Uh, Noz, brilliant stuff. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Love your work. If, if anybody wants to follow you who doesn't, it's Bearded Genius. It's at Bearded Genius, isn't it? Is that a George Best reference?
1: It is. It is. Thank you. Thank you for that because it's a, it's a ridiculous name. I, I, I. It's not me. I, 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 I do enjoy the fact that people always see a photo of me and say, well, you're not even, you've not even got a beard, as if, like, right. the genius bit is OK.
3: Man United, that's enough about them, Everton, still no Richarlison this weekend, It, it turns out to be the crucial ingredient all along. What are their prospects at Goodison Park Saturday lunchtime as they take on Man United having lost Newcastle last time out?
5: Well, Noah Charlison, uh, who is still suspended, and we saw how much they missed him at uh, St. James's Park last weekend. But Luca Dean is back from his suspension, um, so that is at least half of Everton's left flank back in action. And it looks like James Rodriguez might be back as well. Um, and he with is his, obviously With his swollen testicle? With his swollen slash slightly bruised testicle. Um, don't know whether that will be bandaged up or in some kind of medical hammock, maybe. Um, Perhaps he'll be asked uh, after the game. Um, But yeah, I mean, Everton, like United, have hit a a run of poor form, three games without a win, back-to-back defeats against Southampton and and Newcastle. Um, And uh, I mean, their, their recent home record against Manchester United has been pretty good. They put four unanswered goals past... Uh, United, uh, I think the first time that Solskjaer went there as manager, they've only lost twice in the last eight league meetings at Goodison Park. Uh, and given that United are slightly vulnerable, perhaps they, you know, doesn't feel such a bad time to be playing them.
4: Yeah, that 4-0 game a couple of seasons ago, if you remember, um, after the match, Solskjaer went on a quite a dark rant about, about the team and said that a lot of them would never play for the club again um, and fewer than the people he intimated did leave so uh he's got that in him maybe but at the same time for all their bad form united have won their last six premier league away games which is which is good they haven't won mm. seven away from home since john major launched the ill-fated back to basics campaign and you do wonder whether that's what ollie will be saying in the dressing room uh, this weekend let's just get back to basics
5: and in, in further in further good news for United, it looks like Jordan Pickford's going to be in goal for Everton. Right. So perhaps we shouldn't rule out the well, away you, win.
4: You say it looks like,
3: is this on the basis of Carlo Ancelotti when he left him out last time saying he would be back for this game? Or has he made further noises?
5: Yeah, well, he said when, when Robin Olsen came in for uh, Everton's last game that it was just a one-off and that Pickford would swiftly return. But he used the term rotating the goalkeepers and he spoke about uh, how he's... Over a hot fire? I mean, (laughs) perhaps in Pickford's case, that's what he needs. But um, yeah, he he spoke about how he has rotated goalkeepers in in his previous jobs. I think he referenced Napoli as being one example, which Hmm. opens the door to there being, you know, more regular uh, switches between Pickford and Olsen that you might otherwise um, expect. But yeah, from what he said, it looks like Pickford will... Be given a chance to, to to prove that he's the number one again.
3: Certainly, Olsen losing and being part of the team that lost at Newcastle, not the greatest calling card in terms of securing that place. Sasha, who do Liverpool fans root for in this one? As a Liverpool fan look, looking
7: at this, I, I tend to take the pragmatic view of who's going to be the greater threat in the long term. And to be honest, at the moment, it's difficult to tell, given that I can't really see United getting much worse. And with Everton, you know, when injuries came in, there was always the question of how you know, how are they going to manage them? I mean, looking at this particular game, I'm not really particularly sold on um, Ancelotti rotating the goalkeepers because I don't really think Olsen and Pickford are particularly interchangeable. Um, But also, I think, if note of optimism for Everton going forward, I mean, having seen how United kind of defended under pressure, and I haven't been particularly impressed. So, you know, if Hamis is back and, um, I mean, still no Richarlison, but if Hamas is back and Calvert-Lewin is attacking those centre-backs, I mean, perhaps they could have a bit of joy because... um, Again, that zone in front of the defence and the defence itself, when it comes under sort of sustained pressure with you know s- some questions being asked, I don't think it's really up to it.
3: OK. All right. Well, there's loads more top fixtures coming up this weekend. So let's have a quick breather and then we'll launch back in with West Ham Fulham.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? You're listening to The Totally Football Show,
2: sponsored by Paddy Power. Monday evening, a select few were able to enjoy
3: Fulham's first victory of the season over West Brom. 2-0, it was on, of course, PPV. Pay-per-view, both West Brom and Fulham are back on the pay-per-view this weekend. West Brom Sunday lunchtime against Spurs. Colin Miller pointing out that's their fourth game in a row. On pay-per-view, Baggies fans have had to pay almost 50 quid to watch their side score one goal and get two points against three sides in the bottom four. On the subject of PPV, Thursday, today for us, there's a big meeting apparently with the Premier League who reckon that it hasn't been a massive success. Uh, There are various options on the table, either suspending it for the duration of the current English lockdown, maybe dropping the charges or indeed scrapping it all together. As it stands though...
4: Or they mm-hmm. could double that, double the price. Maybe it's not premium enough.
3: <laughs> well, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of blue sky thinking that may very well be dominating the meeting even as we speak. Excellent. Fulham are due to be doing the PPV thing at uh, West Ham Saturday evening. Daniel Story pointing out that four of Fulham's back five against the baggies had names beginning with the letter A. Duncan, is that a record?
4: Uh, well, he, he tagged me in on this, so I was forced to look <laughs> it up, um, and it looks like the record in a Premier League game, I had to do a whole team, because I'm not going that deep for Daniel, but um, there's seven players whose names began with W, playing for Sheffield Wednesday against Man City in 1992, which was... Did they get Wilson. a W? Uh, I don't know, actually, I couldn't look at that, but it's Wilson, Watson, Williams, Warhouse, Worthington, Woods and Waddell. Sounds like some of those <laughs> tongue twisters that kids oh, yes. have that.
3: Very well delivered. Ariola, Aina, Anderson and adarbi were the uh, other four, the A-team, if you will, uh, behind that clean sheet and victory. Uh, Fulham, as I say, at West Ham Saturday night, if you want to splash cash on that. Uh, Cottages haven't won a league game at West Ham in 19 years. Ooh, Sasha. Uh,
7: quick question for Tom. Anderson from Lyon. Is he going to be the difference? Because, I mean, this was his first start. Uh, they kept a clean sheet. He pretty, pretty, reasonably good. Can he shore up that back
5: line for Fulham? He was awful for Leon. He was absolutely awful. He was their record (laughs) signing from Sampdoria. I think they paid about 35 million euros and they brought him in and he was going to be the boss of the defence. He was terrible from the start to the extent that he lost his place in the team um, to Marcelo, Brazilian centre-back, who had kind of fallen foul of the supporters and looked to be on his way out. But Rudy Garcia realised how badly he needed an alternative to Anderson. So he rehabilitated Marcelo's entire Leon career just that they wouldn't have to pick Anderson. So they were quite happy to have shot of it. He arrived with an amazing reputation. I remember yeah. reading about him. He sounded mm-hmm. like the sort of, you know, complete modern defender, a kind of Danish Matias Delict sort of thing. But we didn't see much of that in Liga. All
3: right. West Brom, by the way, beaten by Fulham last uh, Monday, will be hosting Spurs, which is an interesting clash because it pits the highest scoring team in the Premier League, Spurs, against the worst defence in the division. Even worse, to put this in perspective, than Liverpool. That's West Brom. Harry came backing into people. Tom, I feel is going to be a motif in this clash Sunday lunchtime.
5: Yeah, and uh, interesting to note as I leap upon this opportunity to plug my book. Do you speak football? still available mm-hmm. in all good bookshops. Um, that there is no name for this uh, action in the English language, whereas in so, and we're talking about specifically uh, a player. Backing into his opponent and sort of crouching down, not challenging for the ball and sending his opponent sprawling to the ground, which Harry Kane did with Adam Lalana, but also managed to win a penalty at the same time. In in Spanish, uh, that's known as making a bed for someone. In, uh, in I say la cama. That's the one, right? In Portuguese, they call it cat's cradle, um, and in Italian, it's known as a bridge. That you Is it? know, apparently so. I've not heard 100%. that, but that's The fact that you haven't heard of that, James. Does not all go particularly well. No, no not necessarily. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've, but that's that's what I found you in my put my on the, of the
4: book as not remembered by James Richardson. But maybe
5: we'd be more, maybe we'd look out for that sort of behaviour more if we actually right. had a name for it. Maybe your sort of repeat, you know, bed makers like Harry Kane wouldn't be able to get away with it. I like bed making. I mean, in
3: general, but also as a as a kind of a synonym for that, Harry Kane. Mm. Well, it
4: also
5: it winning. also serves in uh, Spanish speaking football parlance to refer to uh, players who are conspiring to get their coach sacked
3: really you could also say oh there
5: it looks like they're making a bed for so and so because you know they're not defending or you know they're leaving denver bar free to (laughs) run the length of the pitch and score or whatever
3: just on the subject of you know the football lexicon tom and i know you don't like to speak too much about your book do you speak football available not in good bookshops because they're all closed but uh you know online is it your impression that The English game; it has a a less rich vocabulary associated with it in terms of idioms.
5: It it does in a way. I mean, I think what happens quite a lot with our sort of native football language is you sometimes overlook the poetry that's in it because we Mm. all you know use these terms and these idioms and these metaphors quite unthinkingly. And if you take a step back, you realise that actually some of them are quite sort of lyrical and quite elegant. But when it comes to technical terminology, there are gaps i kind of you sort of think that it was almost as if having you know invented or having at least codified the sport of football Mm. and 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 laid down the kind of linguistic breeze blocks of football goal referee penalty whatever we then just sort of sat back and thought well our work here is done and it was actually you know the brazilians and the argentinians and the french and the italians who were like oh what do you call this particular skill move and we said, well, we don't, we well, don't so we bother do, ourselves with that sort we didn't of behaviour. Well, no, no exactly. It, you so. think about skill, like Rabona. We never had a name for Rabona because you know
4: we didn't really go in for that. Kind well, we of did. Thing. It was called Get Rid, Stop messing around with the ball. <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> let's let's ask Sasha, uh, somebody who is very much in, you know, steeped in our culture, but at the same time comes to it from a slightly different context. What's your favourite bit of kind of flowery football uh, talk? Uh, in in any language? No, um, in English. In, oh, in, in
7: English. Uh, yeah, I quite like get rid now. Um, to be honest, <laughs> man on. Um, it's it's. But I, I think I can't think of a favorite right now. But I think Tom makes a good point there that we kind of maybe overlook these expressions as as a cliche.
3: Mm.
7: Whereas perhaps in other languages, like in Spanish, you know, make the bed. That's their cliche. Like oh, this right. is really for example
3: say. in French or Italian. Is there anything to compare with? Not for me, Clive. Or if anything, he said that <laughs> too well. I don't think so. And they're the poorer for it. In and around. In and around is quite a good one. <laughs> in and around. <laughs> yeah, the very great Andy Townsend there. Well, we should talk about the football. Duncan, our last line on West Brom Spurs.
4: Yeah, just anyone with a very arcane memory might recall that uh, Adebayor had nine shots on target in this fixture in November 2011, which is the most by a player in a single Premier League match. So, That's like, remarkable. Can Harry Kane match that but while he's making the bed.
3: Monday... There was another game that took place in the Premier League and it saw Leicester go to Leeds and win 4-1. Leicester now second in the table, even though they've only got a British manager, Brendan Rogers after this 4-1 victory against Marcelo Bielsa, muttering bitterly, because I'm a British manager, I got lucky. That's the way it works in these games. He has beaten Guardiola and, and, and Bielsa uh, this season. Has he got lucky or has he been outthinking the foreign fellas?
5: I... Would prefer not to have to frame that uh, matter in such potentially xenophobic terms, um, <laughs> but no, I, th- I think I mean I think what we've seen with Leicester is that they are a very effective counter-attacking team, and you look at their most uh, impressive performances this season. They've generally come on the roads, you know, that incredible five-two win at at Manchester City, uh, the 1-0 win at Arsenal, which is a real sort of, you know, counter-punching victory. Mm. Uh, and then then 4-1 at Leeds. Uh, and this despite missing uh, an awful lot of players particularly at the back and and playing with this this new look back three. Um so yeah, you know, credits to Brendan Rodgers. We 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 worried a little bit I think about Leicester after they hit the skids last season. You 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 wonder whether they'd be able to rediscover the momentum they had in the first part of the season. And as Sasha mentioned earlier, when we were talking about Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool side, he is a bit of a momentum manager. Mm. um, And it looks like he's he's found a decent bit of momentum at the moment. Um, But given that they've generally fared better away from home than they have at home, and that Wolves are really tightened up um, in their last few matches, I think this could be quite a tight one.
3: All right, Wolves with Nuno Espirito Santo, of course, who, if he was called Brian Holy name, surely wouldn't excite the same kind of respect. Although looking like Morpheus could be the key in his case, but Leicester Wolves is the clash. Two o'clock on Sunday, it could see Leicester go top of the table by the uh, end of the weekend. As you mentioned, Tom, Leicester are better on the road four wins out of four and as you also state Wolves have really tightened up just one goal conceded in their last four so do you fancy Nuno's side then for this one at the King Power? I
7: think it'll be a draw. Sasha, I'm rooting for Maximilian Kilman who is actually I think, believe Russian-Ukrainian no. which quite unusually came through non-league football former Futsal International Made a bit of a name for himself at Maidenhead United before um, before going to Wolves, and um, I think it's it's quite it's quite an unusual footballing story, and uh, I'm keen to see how it develops. And I think he's done very very well so far. Even has an assist. Who does he play south for? England. He oh, was okay. born here. Yeah, he was born here. To uh, it's it, it, a bit like my son, who's also called Max. Uh, maybe in the future he also has a future with uh, with Wolves. We'll see. Is Max Kilman your son, Sasha? Is this, is, this how <laughs> you're, is this where this is going? Um, <laughs> my my son is only four at the moment, so he's a few years behind Max Kilman. So we we'll have a we we'll have a roadmap for him to achieve in the next twenty
3: years, I suppose. Also coming up this weekend is the big showdown of eighth and ninth. That's Arsenal, Aston Villa. That's Sunday evening. Villa actually ahead of the Gunners on goal difference. The two seemingly travelling in different directions. A Palace, who are two points behind that pair in thirteenth, will be hosting Leeds Saturday at three. Palace have had the fewest shots in the Premier League. This season, Liverpool are the only team who've had more shots than Leeds. Saturday at 5.30, it's Chelsea against Sheffield United. Can Frank Lampard's side get a sixth clean sheet against a blade side that hasn't won since July? No Kai Havertz in that game. He's tested positive for COVID-19. Friday at 5.30, yep, yeah, Friday at 5.30, it's Brighton-Burnley. Interesting to see if Neil Mopé is back in the team after being dropped from the squad an inflated ego an incident with a teammate in a dressing room apparently and also on Friday Saints against Newcastle that one is at 8 o'clock and Saints will go top of the Premier League if they win this match good lord they haven't been top of the league in over 32 years Phil Collins was number one with a groovy kind of love last time it happened
4: if they do go top, um, and even if it's only for, for one day after the, the rest of the fixtures, they'll join Ipswich, Forest, West Ham, Wigan, Hull and Huddersfield uh, on one day on top of the Premier League. In when history. was
3: Huddersfield top of the Premier League?
4: Um, presumably in one of the Huddersfield seasons. It would have been early, early on when they got a win and then oh, yeah. you know, briefly topped it. But Tottenham have been on top of the Premier League for nine days fewer than Bolton so far. Uh, wow. Which ran cool some Spurs fans. So obviously, that could change this season.
0: Mm.
3: Raph Hasenhuttle's side, this time last year, were in the relegation zone. Currently, they are on a five-game unbeaten streak after that slightly wobbly start to this season. They won't have Danny Ings fit. They called the scan results on his knee, that injury he picked up last weekend, favourable in the sense that he'll only be out for six weeks, which gives you a measure of the the kind of fears they had Uh, for his fitness. Newcastle are unbeaten on the road this season and have won four of their last five against Southampton.
4: It's one of the few times you can legitimately and accurately say Ings can only get better, so I plan to do that. Um, (laughs) This is actually Southampton's first Friday night game since the game we're not allowed to mention anymore because it's been more than a year since it happened. But So let's hope. uh, I mean, I can't really see Newcastle scoring redacted number of goals in this game, but uh, you never know.
3: Well, listener, about this time, I think it'd be a good moment to drop in on our pal Lee Price and his continuing adventures in and around the World of Odds.
6: Happy weekend, friends. The results are in, but still nobody knows the answer. That's right. Is Oliver and Solskjaer actually any good at football management? Well, plenty of United fans were doing a recount of his worst results following the midweek cock-up. And the trip to Evan isn't exactly the gimme it might have been previously. Although, that might depend on whether Jordan Pickford is reinstated. Solskjaer must have been inspired by Carlo Ancelotti's decisive management when he dropped David De Gea in the Champions League. Although, that was approximately nine months too late. And after a run of games where he hasn't actually been that terrible, who'd be a foot manager, eh? Well, perhaps not only himself, if this one doesn't go his way. But we do make United the very slight favourites to win, they're 11-8 to, to take all three points. Everton, 9-5. And clearly, we've got some kind of pro-Manchester agenda at Pally Power, like the opposite of the government, because we also make Man City favourites to beat stronger, Merseyside-based opposition this weekend. Weird. Guardiola might be pepped up, God knows he needs it, to hear that City are 10-11 to 11 to beat Liverpool, who must, therefore, represent value at 23-10, to 10, if you get your head around the weird numbers. Speaking of weird numbers... Liverpool's number 46, Rhys Williams, has been earning rave reviews. I only really wanted to mention to be honest, because he spent last season on loan at Kiddiminster Harriers and I once had a holiday friend who supported Kiddie. I've long since forgotten your name and face, but I think of you, well, actually, almost never. Just in the rare times I hear the phrase, Kidderminster Harriers. Anyway, enough waffle from me. All the best.
3: You can find out these odds and more... PaddyPower.com or the PaddyPower app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Quick word for Sheffield Wednesday, who have had this week their 12-point deduction for breaching a profit and sustainability rules uh, reduced to six points, which moved, excitingly, the hours off the bottom of the championship table on
4: Wednesday evening
3: and above Wickham. But then, Duncan...
4: We can't be kept down by meddling bureaucrats because uh, we won 2-1 away at Birmingham in a very dominant display, yeah. That's your second win in a row. Seven points in a week, yeah. So we are, yeah, I mean, we're looking at the playoffs now more than the, the relegation zone. Brackets, we are still in the relegation zone. But yeah, they're playing really well. So, OK, yeah. well,
3: so Sheffield Wednesday, who were off the bottom of the championship for two and a half hours now, uh, back in last place, Wickham, if you're keeping track, third from bottom, ahead of Derby and the Owls, at one point from safety uh, and Coventry, only two behind fifth last, Nottingham Forest. Crikey. Who we play this weekend. Do you? That's huge. Also big news this week, Mick McCarthy's been appointed uh, manager of the fifth-best team in Cyprus, Apple Nicosia. Who's excited about that?
4: Yeah I am because it gave me another chance to listen to the Deep House Mick McCarthy track which is now on Spotify as well and it is is it now on Spotify? I, yeah, and as I was explaining to to my wife it's actually really good. Like you can listen to it in a non-ironic way, which yep. is the you know, the hope for everyone.
3: All right, okay. One last question to finish things off then and it's from Michael Shart who says who's gonna win the boxing match between Eddie Hall and And Thor. Crikey, Michael Sharp. This is big news. And it's it's kind of wrong that we've left this right to the end of the show. But it's true. Eddie Hall, the Beast, world's strongest man a couple of years back, and Thor, who won it the year after him and plays, of course, the Mountain in Game of Thrones, have both decided to get it on because, in the immortal phrase, they don't get along. Uh, They are going to be having a boxing match apparently in Las Vegas, There's some incredibly serious training going on, certainly by Eddie, and I think from Thor as well, who's about six foot taller than Eddie is. So there's going to be all sorts of interesting questions for people who know about boxing uh, to do with reach and that kind of thing. But this is going to happen in Vegas in September 21 is the plan, although, you know, plans at the moment very much all are penciled in. Uh, it's extraordinarily interesting, Michael. I'm super excited to know more about this contest. And it's going to be the first thing that I ask Eddie when I meet up with him uh, this coming Sunday for a long trip to Bradenton, Florida for this year's World's Strongest Man. As a result of that, I won't be with you uh, for the next couple of uh, Totally Football shows. But I'll be sure uh, to be uh, bringing back all the fresh news about that. And of course, World's Strongest Man, which will be back on your screens for Christmas and comforted by the knowledge that I'm leaving you in the very capable hands and mouth of Matt Davis Adams
5: superb there's an image
3: yes that's it for today you start with us listener you're special we are going to finish up here though many thanks to Sasha to Duncan and to Tom Williams and above all to producer Charlie and above above all you listener catch up with you soon have a lovely time in the meanwhile
2: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
1: Muddy Knees Media.